Lord is my shepherd. Did you realize that the shepherd has got sheepdogs? Verse 6 of Psalm 23 really sums up the biblical foundation for the song that we just sang together. What does it say? Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know, I read that most of my life and I thought of the word follow and I had in my mind Andy and Opie heading down to the fishing hole and a little lop-eared beagle following. That's not the Hebrew word at all for follow. The word is pursue like a tiger that's hunting down its prey. And here's the picture I want you to get. Amanda, thank you so much for bringing that to life. His goodness is running after us. And the Bible tells us something interesting. The psalmist said later in Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I'm God. Well, I don't know about you, but if something's chasing me, being still is probably not the first thought that I have in mind. But if you'll be still this morning, recognize that the goodness and the mercy of God is pursuing you. And it will catch you and swallow you up. Some of you needed to hear that this morning. Somebody this morning is running headlong into into heartache. And you need to recognize if you'll stop, God's goodness and his mercy will pursue you and will capture you. Well, church family, we started a brand new message series last week on the Beatitudes. And I've got to tell you that one of our deacons, one of our well-intentioned deacons came to me and he said, you know, if you were a preacher worth this salt, you could do two of those Beatitudes every week. I mean, you could just cover them quickly. That deacon will remain uh, nameless and anonymous, but his initials are Dale McDonald. And so anyway, Dale McDonald and I were bantering back and forth and, and he was picking at me and Little did he know that my intent is not to cover two Beatitudes a week. My intent's not even to cover one Beatitude a week. Actually, my plan is we're going to spend two weeks on each of the eight Beatitudes. Now, you say, Pastor, we could get through them and be done by Easter. We could start into something else. But I want you to know that we're going to pause. There's an old, old idiom that we say all the time. Sometimes you just need to stop. And smell the roses. And I believe it's possible for us to zip by life-transforming truth and go so quickly through it that we don't really grasp the beauty that's there. Imagine, if you will, if we went to a museum or or an art gallery and we made a plan, we had a map, we we had it all figured out, and we were going to zip through it, we're going to see the whole thing, top to bottom, every painting, every sculpture, every piece of art in every medium and we got all the way through and you say well what did you see I saw it all really you probably didn't see any of it you may have viewed it but you didn't really see it I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 5 that's where we're going to invest our time for the next several weeks and we're going to walk through these in 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 a sense you can view everything and see nothing and I want us to stop Beside each of these beautiful statements of Jesus, like a masterpiece in a gallery, I want us to look at them together until its beauty passes through your eyes and makes an impression on your soul. I want you to see these words of Jesus and see that Jesus is describing a life that is blessed by God. We said that last week. Everybody wants to be blessed in life. 
Everybody that I know wants to be blessed in death and even blessed in the afterlife. They want the blessings of God. And as Jesus describes this life, my prayer is that we would gaze into these words until they press themselves into our very soul and they begin to impart into our lives the very blessings that they imply that we can attain. And the plan is to actively engage you in these. I'll give you instructions at the end. It's on the backside on your GPS. Don't go there yet. We'll, we'll get there. But what I want us to do is we're going to spend two weeks on each beatitude. And the first week, so today, we're going to invest time listening to and looking at the words of Jesus. These precious words. And as we do, I'm hoping that we'll listen to his voice. And we can understand what he's saying to us. And see the life that he's calling us to. And then next week, we're going to talk about cultivating that which he's calling us to. We're going to talk about getting traction. We're going to talk about moving forward in the blessings of God. That's the whole title of the series is that we would gain traction. We would get a grip, if you will, on the blessings of God through the beatitude. Now, I want to say this. We're going to be looking at several different passages of Scripture. So I'm asking you right now, get your Bible handy. I don't know if you're going to open it up or if you're going to turn it on. Either way, get your Bible ready. I want you to jot down notes and write down some of these verse references because I think that as we work through it, you'll see that they build on one another. So have your Bible handy, your mind engaged, your heart focused with me. Let's pray together. Father, speak to us through your word. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, that is the verse of focus today. We'll put it on the screen. I want you to read it with me. It's the very first of the Beatitudes. Here it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's say it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus calling us to? What, what comes to mind when you think of the word poor? I mean, poor and blessed don't necessarily go in the same sentence. Poor means I'm lacking something. Poor means I don't have enough. Maybe you think bankrupt. You think empty. And you say, well, emptiness and blessings just don't go together. It's a paradox. Poor in spirit means that you recognize or realize what you lack. You know that you don't have what it takes. You have nothing to offer to God this morning in a spiritual sense. Do you know that? We have nothing that we can offer to God. But, Pastor, what does that look like in real life? I mean, if I think through this, suppose with me for a moment that the most gifted player on your football team is the quarterback. And let's just say that that quarterback is incredible. He's got the physical stature. He's got strength. He's got knowledge. He knows the game. Let's suppose he's a high school quarterback. And he is amazing. I mean, people are are, are turning their attention to his small town in the middle of rural nowhere. And he comes to the coach at the very beginning of the, the year. Uh, he shows up for two-a-days, and he's a Christian, so he wants to follow the words of Jesus. And his pastor has preached on Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And he says, well, coach, I really don't have much to offer our team. I, I think you ought to put me on the bench. There's somebody else that you can find. Is that what that means, to be poor in spirit? 
Let's just suppose a young lady graduates college and she has graduated magna cum laude and she goes for her first interview and it's for a high, high position. And she sits down and the interview goes well, but she's a Christian and she's heard her pastor preach that same message series. And she says to the employer as they ask the final question, why should we hire you for this job? And she says, well, I really want to take the words of Jesus to heart. And she says, well, I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe there are 10 or 12 other people that could do this job way better than me. She's being poor in spirit. Is that what that means, pastor? Is that what it looks like in our lives to be poor in spirit? If it is, then I suppose we should be like that. But I want to tell you there's good news. That's not at all what it means. You'll be glad to know it doesn't mean it. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What is Jesus saying to his disciples and his hearers and to us Today, I want us to look at a very simple two-part outline and then some application. And I put the whole thing there. This is not the fill in the blank, but I want you to see. I want us to look together at our position and his promise. Basically, I want us to look at what he's calling us to and then the blessing that flows out of it. And then we'll figure out how that comes together. I put that outline there. So slide number one that we'll see up there, I want you to see our position is that we are called to be poor in spirit. Now, I want you to fill this in. Poverty of spirit or poorness of spirit means this, that you recognize your poverty before God, not man. Fill that in. This is very important. That quarterback or that young lady in the job interview, her recognition is not that she has no skills, not that he has no talent or ability. All of us have been given various skills and abilities. It's not a false sense of humility, but it is a recognition before God that we are spiritually bankrupt, that we have nothing to offer God. You bring nothing to the table that impresses him. You don't earn salvation. You can't buy it. You can't inherit it. You bring nothing to the table. Bankrupt, completely impoverished. You see, Jesus here is not speaking about a relationship of man and or woman in in relationship in relationship to each other, he's talking about our relationship to God. You see, when we are face to face with God, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You need to hear this. Poor in spirit is the very first mark of a person who genuinely walks with God. That's where Jesus started. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You need to see it. One commentator said this. He said, you may be multi-talented as a blue chip superstar in sports. You may be a viral entrepreneur in business. You may be a mega mother or a dynamic dad, a brilliant musician, a technical guru, or a political genius. But if you have truly met with God, you know before him you have nothing to offer. Now, I want to do this. I want to illustrate this very quickly in the lives of three men in the Bible. Turn to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6. And as you're turning to Isaiah chapter 6, I want to give you some background about this man. Isaiah was a preacher. He was a silver-tongued prophet. He was an amazing man, known for his ministry. He spoke dynamic words, and the people listened to him. It's pretty amazing to think about this marvelous ministry, this incredible prophet. 
If Isaiah was around today, he would fill auditoriums and stadiums. People would pack them out to come hear his TED Talks. They would want to hear what he had to say. He would have millions of followers on social media that were waiting for his wisdom. They would be looking to Twitter to see what does Isaiah have to say. I mean, he was a remarkable, gifted, godly preacher. And we come to chapter 6 of Isaiah and listen to the words of this man of God. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw who? The Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending to him were mighty seraphim. These are angels. Their voices shook the temple to its foundation and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's all over. You probably know this in the King James. He said, woe is me. I am undone. Here's what it says in the New Living Translation. It's all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. And yet I have seen the Lord. Think about that. I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. As gifted as Isaiah seemed to be. In the presence of God, he said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm unraveling at the seams. That is the testimony of Isaiah. Go with me, if you will, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verse 8. We're going to look at the man, Simon Peter. Simon Peter's a unique individual. He was very gifted. Obviously, we see him later preaching and 3,000 people saved. But in the beginning of his ministry and his call to ministry, God showed him a great miracle on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. And as that unfolded in the early verses of Luke 5, we see in 5.8 his response. What does Peter do? It says this. He's seen miracles in the presence of Jesus, but he has a similar response to Isaiah. When Simon Peter realized what happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. He didn't say it in the prose of the King James. He didn't say it with the calmness of a pastor in a sterile environment. He said, Oh, my God, I can't be in your presence. He saw a glimpse of the power of the sovereign God. And he said, get away from me. Isaiah saw the glory of God and he said, I'm ruined. Let me take you in another place. Revelation. As we look there, a skilled man that's going to be reduced, if you will, to, to absolute poverty in the presence of the Lord. Revelation 1.17. This is John writing. John is the beloved disciple, the one who reclined on Jesus as they ate together. He knew Jesus. He had walked with Jesus. He had been with Jesus before, but not in this context. He sees the glory of Jesus with fire and with power and dominion and awesome display of his majesty and the bible says something powerful there in revelation 1 17 john gets a glimpse of the glory of jesus and here's how he reacted when i saw him i fell down at his feet as if i were dead he passed out cold he goes to the ground and jesus laid his right hand on him and says don't be afraid i am the first and the last church family Circle in with me for a minute. Draw close with me for a minute. This is troubling to me. 
If Isaiah, this magnificent prophet, is lost, if Peter, the apostle, is absolutely bankrupt, and if if John, the one that loved Jesus and the one whom Jesus loved, if he is wrecked in the presence of Jesus, what does that mean for the rest of us? How can we casually stroll into an experience of worship and not be changed? You see, I think all of these men would say to you and to me this morning this, the world sees my gifts and my talents, but before this sovereign, holy, awesome God, I have nothing to offer. Isaiah had been in ministry for some time when this happened in chapter 6. Kind of interesting to me to think about when God came near to him like this, it brought a completely different view of self. In fact, the one thing that Isaiah would be known for, his lips, his speech, he said, they are filthy. I mean, the best I've got to offer is absolute rubbish in the presence of this holy God. Here's a question for you, church family. Have you ever come so close to God or have you ever been close enough to God? That at your best, however much you've been touted for and celebrated for your gifts and your talents by others, that you were bankrupt before him. Or could it be that God is at such a distance from your life that you have never been, you've never been scathed by his glory. You've never had an impression made on your life. Think about this. All I'm saying is when we draw close to God, we're reduced. Now we'll be built up. He will build us up. But you need to recognize Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The gateway to all of the other blessings of God is a humility that finds ourselves in the presence of God. And I want you to hear this. Here's an unchanging principle that we as a church need to know. Pride cannot exist in the presence of God. We see it in Satan in the earliest days. And when there is pride in my life, pride pushes the gas pedal to get me as far away from God as I can. God, I don't need you. God, I'm good. I've got this covered. I can network my way out of it. I can talk my way through this. I can think my way and logically reason through it. No, Jesus said here on earth, apart from him, I can do nothing. And apart from me, you can do nothing. He said, I can only do that which the Father shows me. Pride runs to get away from God as far and as fast as possible. It cannot exist in his presence. Think about this, when God's presence came down in the Old Testament, oftentimes the room was filled with smoke. We saw that the house, the the tabernacle, and the temple was filled with the fire of God. In fact, this is what Isaiah saw. He goes into the room, he says, the train of his robe filled the temple, and the room was filled with smoke. Have you ever been inside a burning building? Have you ever been inside a, a building that was on fire, that was filled with smoke? Let me say it this way. The smoke of God's presence is suffocating to pride. When God's present, pride melts. When when God is present, our pride is relinquished because we recognize there's nothing we can do apart from God. You need to hear this. Pride staggers away from the soul that is coughing and sputtering in the presence of God when he draws near. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. That's what happened to Isaiah. That's what happened to Peter. That's what happened to John. All of these, I just want you to see the Bible can illustrate itself. In all three of the lives of these men that we know about and study, they came face to face with the holiness of God and it wrecked them. What does that say about us? Whatever your position in the world, 
you're in an entirely different position in the presence of God. You may be president and CEO of whatever. You may be the most skilled or talented or the smartest or make the best grades. But in the presence of God, we are brought to absolute ruin. And we're blessed when we are. And we'll see why in just a moment. That gifted quarterback has tons of things to offer his team. I mean, he's got all of the skill. He'll be celebrated in school. He'll probably be given scholarship opportunities But when he stands before God, if he had any knowledge of God whatsoever, he knows he has nothing to offer except need. That young lady that's graduated, she's she's, uh, fast-tracked for promotion, but before God, she has nothing to offer. She may can offer her company all manner of profit, but she can offer God nothing. Now, as we think through it, let's look together at this promise. You see, all of us have something to offer. Our family, our company, our church, our friends, our team. But if you walk with God, you need to understand, you'll identify with the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4. Jot that down somewhere and read it later. He said, what do you have that's not been given to you? Everything that you have has been given. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? How do you have these gifts? Where did they come from? Since all that you have was given by God, what can you ever offer to him? That's the Apostle Paul speaking. Now, I want you to see the promise. We've looked at our position. Our position is poor in spirit. What's the promise? He says, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The promise is the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting to me, and I, I want us to think through this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In fact, let's read it again. It's on the screen. Read it with me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the king. Oh, wait. There shall be the kingdom of heaven. Do, do you realize that every other one of these beatitudes is future tense? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Jesus speaks in present tense. He says the poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven accessible to them now. Don't lose that. You may want to circle the word is. The kingdom of heaven is theirs now. Heaven is future, right? Yes. But heaven is now, right? And the answer is absolutely yes. We might expect him to say that there shall be the kingdom of... If I'm poor in spirit, I'm going to go to heaven one day. No, Jesus says, if you're poor in spirit, the kingdom is yours today. It is ours now. When he says that, what he's saying is the blessings of heaven are present tense. What he's saying is that you can have in this world a taste of heaven. Now, some of you immediately are saying, Pastor... We're doing this study on Wednesdays on heaven, and I don't see heaven in my neighborhood. I look around me. Let me ask you. I asked this question last Wednesday. What do you think of when you think of heaven? People said streets of gold and pearly gates and reunion with loved ones and lion and lamb lying together, all those things. Well, streets of gold. Pastor, we don't have those in Hattiesburg. We got pavement with potholes. Redeemed people who are perfected. We don't have that now, Pastor, not here in Hattiesburg. People are fickle and mean and, and they're broken. The lion lying with the lamb. The nations waging no more war. Every tear being wiped away. Those are things we know about heaven. Pastor Scott, those things are not true in my life today. 
So what is Jesus talking about? I'm glad you asked. I want you to turn with me to a verse of scripture you need to know. Isaiah 57, 15. Isaiah 57, 15. Jot that reference down and turn there immediately. You need this. Isaiah, that great man of God who saw the Lord high and lifted up and said, I am undone, wrote these words. Let me read to you the word of God. Isaiah 57, 15. For this is what the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says, I will dwell in a high and holy place and also with. Look at the screen so you see those words. I've got them underlined for you, and I want you to say those three words. You ready? Here we go. And also with. With who? The contrite and the lowly of spirit. In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the spirit of the contrite. Wait a minute. God, who created everything, lives in the heavens. But he says, and also with those who are lowly of spirit, those who are contrite. And Jesus tagged onto that and said, blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is, not will be, is theirs. So church family, if you and I want to begin to cultivate a sense of being in the presence of God, we need to recognize this. God's desire and his design is to live with us. That is staggering. God inhabits heaven high and lifted up, but he wants us to know that he lives here with the person who is lowly in spirit. Heaven is to live with God. Would you agree with that? I mean, if we're going to define heaven, heaven is to live with God, to dwell with God, to be with God. And if that is heaven, he says, if you have a lowly spirit, if you have a contrite heart, I will dwell with you. And so what I'm saying to you, church family, is the poor in spirit get a taste of heaven right here on earth. If you want to move beyond a vague religious belief in God, which lives at a distance from you, find yourself with a humble awareness that God is holy and that we are not. We have nothing to offer. And when you do that, God dwells with that kind of person. Let me say it this way. Heaven is in the humble before the humble get to heaven. Heaven is in the hearts of the humble because God dwells there. He said it. His word said it. You need to underline that verse. Isaiah 57, 15. God said, I dwell high and lifted up and also with. Folks, that's powerful. That's life-changing. Some of you have got self-esteem issues. Some of you struggle with your own life. You need to recognize that you have nothing to offer to God, yet God has chosen to live with you. And when we strut around like a peacock and when we bow up our chest and think about how good we are, then we push ourselves away from God. Why? Because God will not tolerate pride. There's no room for it. There's no place for it. So humility is key. There is wonderful blessing here today for some person who is overwhelmed by a challenge. Maybe you've been saying to yourself, I don't have what it takes, Pastor. I just don't know how I'm going to move forward from here. Well, guess what? You need to know that God has called you to a place that is beyond your ability, your range. And the circumstances of your life may have brought you to a place where you're poor in spirit. And Christ said, if you're there, you're blessed. 
Jesus says, I won't just come near to you in a service and then leave you this week. He says, I'll dwell with you. I'll go to school with you this week. I'll go to work with you this week. I'll go to that waiting room outside the surgical center. I'll go with you in the midst of the tears in the middle of the night. When you find yourself spiritually bankrupt, acknowledging, God, I don't have anything to offer you, He shows up. Amen? That's a taste of heaven. There's a blessing not just for the person who feels overwhelmed, By circumstance, there's a blessing this morning for those who feel overwhelmed by temptation. Some of you are struggling with maybe a a habitual sin and you just cannot shake it. It has got you to the core and you've wrestled through it and, and worried through it and the temptations come and they seem to be so powerful and they overwhelm you. They're too much. You feel defeated. You don't know what to do. These temptations have brought you to a place where you're poor in spirit. Well, guess what? Christ says, I'll dwell with you there. Maybe just maybe the next step is not to grit your teeth and say, by willpower, I'm going to do this. No, by his power, I'm going to do this. There's a blessing here today for someone who knows you've messed up. Maybe nobody else in the world knows it. Your sin may have found you out. But the enemy of your soul told you there would be no harm in it. And now he tells you there's no hope for it. (laughs) And he's lying to you on both sides. But maybe you've come to a place of being lowly in spirit. Now, if your failure leads you to humility before God, if your sin should lead you to a point where you become poor in spirit, Christ will come and dwell with you. God can use the sin that would have brought you down to hell and help you to find the pathway to heaven. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. I want to give you four quick points of application. And I promise I'll make these quick, but this is invaluable. People who are poor in spirit display or demonstrate Four ways that their lives are impacted. And here we go. The first one. People who are poor in spirit know that God doesn't owe them. They know that God doesn't owe them anything. Now before you dismiss me because you say, well, I don't think God owes me anything. But we act like it. We act as if, God, I've given to you. I came to church this morning. God, I've given a little bit to you. And we demand of God somehow that we could write his job description for us. That we give him our Ten Commandments and say, God, I expect you to provide for me an adequate pay and an adequate level of comfort to exist in the level of life and the lifestyle that I've chosen. And God owes us nothing. Where did we get that idea? We need to admit it. We want God to provide certain blessings to our family. And again, a level of income and health. When we pray, God, make sure everything's okay. Happy and healthy. We want to be insulated from the sufferings experienced by others in the world. And woe to God if he does not meet our expectations. Do you see how pride lies at the root of that? I deserve something because I am something. It's what I'm saying to God. It's pride. Pride says I gave him something. He owes me something bigger and better than what I got back. Pride leads to disappointment and bitterness. It leads to resentment toward God. Pride leads us to a place where it kills. But his blessings 
come to the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The person who's poor in spirit says this, what do I have that I didn't receive from the hand of God? God gave everything and I can give him nothing. God owes me nothing and I owe him what? Everything. Number two, people who are poor in spirit aren't afraid to ask. People who are Poor in spirit aren't afraid to ask. I've seen many a proud person, oh, we don't want to bother anybody. We don't need anything. You know what? You rob the blesser. When you have a genuine need and you have pride in your life that won't let somebody else bless you, you rob them from the blessing. But it's an arrogance. You see, the, the person who is in need will ask, what am I saying? I'm saying that if your prayer life is not active, maybe there's some pride that needs to be killed in your life. Maybe there's some pride that says, I I think I've got it. You see, a prayerful person is a person that starts out poor in spirit. They understand, I need the kingdom of heaven right now. I need God's presence. I can't do this. He can. And they cry out. They pray. I love this. A Puritan writer named Thomas Watson said, the poor are always begging. The poor are always begging. And he was talking spiritually about prayer. He who is poor in spirit will be much in prayer. Is that you? Or do you feel that you have what it takes? People who know of their own need have an active prayer life. When they pray, they ask. Is there anything in your experience that resembles what could be called an active prayer life? I wish we had time to go through this. Jesus told a story of two men praying. One of them poked out his chest and he said, I am so glad that I'm not like that man. I pray and I fast and I... You know what was missing from his prayer? He didn't ask God for a single thing. You better come to God asking. Now, you say, Pastor, isn't that a little needy? Yes. You need to be needy because you are. What did the other man do? He, he bowed his head to the earth in humility and, and a, a humble spirit. And he said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Maybe, just maybe, if we want revival in our homes and if we want revival in our city and we want our church to be revived and we want to make an impact on lostness and we want to change and transform lives, maybe it'll start with us on our knees saying, God, we can't do it. We need you. Does that make sense? Yes or no? It's interesting to me. That man who asks for nothing is miles away from being poor in spirit. He feels like he has nothing to ask. And the tax collector stands at a distance. Let me show you this, number three. People who are poor in spirit are in a position to receive. Not only do they ask, they put themselves in a position to receive. People who feel like they have something to offer God are always coming to him with their hands full. Lord, Look what I have to offer you. It may be your musical abilities. I've seen people that have done that, and you have too. I've seen people that are teachers that in Sunday school, I can wow and dazzle people with my ability and my skill to teach. And they're coming to God full-handed. This is what I've got. Let me give you a word picture maybe to hang on to. I almost brought them up here. I thought about bringing buckets and buckets of pebbles. We come to God with pebbles in our hand, and God wants to put gold in those hands. And we're holding rocks when God wants to give us gold. And you'll receive nothing of God when you come to God with what you think you have of value. 
Does that make sense? I hope that you track with that. When we get to the place where we're doing that, I'll say it this way. You can't receive gold if you have a handful of pebbles. What are we saying? Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. Let me say this. You can't cling to the cross if your hands are full of pebbles. Only those who come to God empty-handed, aware of their own need, can cling to the cross. When you know you have nothing to offer God, you're in a position to, to receive everything God offers. Let me say that again. When you know that you have nothing to offer to God, you're available. You are ready to receive everything God has for you. That's why the blessing of God rests on being poor in spirit. Heaven is theirs because they have their hands open. It doesn't mean you don't have anything to bring to the table in other relationships. We've already said that. But before God, there's nothing I can do. Number four, people who are poor in spirit boast in the cross. They boast in the cross. Paul said it this way in Galatians 6, Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it this way. The more that a man or a woman sees in him or herself, the less they will see of Christ. The more of Christ he sees, the less he will see of himself. That's why at the center of our worship, we want to set our minds and our hearts on Jesus. I love the old song. It's it's a newer song, actually, but it was written as an older feel. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Here's the difference between a hypocrite and a genuine child of God. The fake and the true believer. People who are far from God make much of themselves. And people who are near to God make much of Jesus Christ. What does your life speak of? Does your daily life... I'm not talking about while you're here. It's easy here. I'm talking about Thursday afternoon. I'm talking about Saturday night. I'm talking about in class or in your neighborhood. Are you making much of Jesus? It happens when you see less and less of self and you see his glory. You see his power. You see his majesty. You see his cross. People far from God are always talking about what they're doing for him. People near to God make much of what he is doing around them. Well, there's more that we can say and we'll pick up Next week, I just think about Isaiah, and we'll illustrate it this way. That man who said, I'm undone, I'm ruined, would also be the one who said this in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our rebellion, our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. You see, God spoke those words to a man who knew his own need, who knew the glory of God. He was poor in spirit. Poor in spirit, people make much of the cross. Isaiah didn't even understand the cross. He was 800 years before the arrival of Jesus on earth. He just knew that there would be a suffering Savior that would come, and by his wounds, by his stripes, we would find healing and salvation. A man who was broken, 
made much of the cross. Now, church family, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This morning, this is kind of a unique invitation. If you'll look on the back of your guide, I want you to post this. I'm not just talking about social media. I want you to post it in your mind and in your heart so you can read through those things. If God has brought a scripture verse to mind or you begin this week to look for others, read those instructions and see. I want you to share those with us. Call the church office. Email that email address that's there. If you do post those things, post them there. You may want to draw a picture. There's some instruction there. That's not just for the kids. I want you to get this in your heart and mind because I don't want us to rush past these. I want us to stop and ponder like we were in an art gallery. And you would look and you would see that the words of Jesus are so precious, so absolutely indescribable and invaluable. There's no possible way to put a value on these. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I want you to be preparing your heart to engage with this message this week in that way. Number two, if you're here today and you've walked with pride, you've walked and never surrendered yourself to God, today would be an incredible day to do that. We have prayer partners that gather here at the front, and we're going to sing one song. We'll sing just briefly through it. And as we do, you step out from where you are and come and talk to one of these prayer partners. They'd love to share with you how you can have a relationship with God. You see, a relationship with God starts by acknowledging we have a need. God, I can't save myself, but you offered salvation for me. And today, you can be saved. Let's pray together, and then we're going to sing, and you respond. Father, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for these glorious words. Thank you for the offer of the kingdom of heaven. May we truly cultivate humility, spiritual humility in our lives. Not false humility, but may we recognize our deep need for Christ. It is only then that we'll find the blessing of God. In Jesus' name, may your people move and respond. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.